This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the senior editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. Charter public schools are an established part of the nation's urban educational landscape. Over 40% of public school students in New Orleans, Detroit, Washington, D.C., and some other places are attending charter schools. Many other cities are not far behind. Yet charters find themselves under intense fire from many school boards, superintendents, and union leaders. In a 2016 referendum in Massachusetts, for example, every school board in the state opposed the lifting of the cap for new charter schools. Such bitter conflict between charter schools and district schools is not inevitable, says a new report entitled Collision Course, Embracing Politics to Succeed in District Charter Collaborations, which has just been issued by the Center for Reinventing Public Education at the University of Washington. If one looks closely, one can find many instances of close collaboration between the charter and the district sector, the report says. I have with me today on the Education Exchange, Ashley Jockham, one of the authors of this report. Thank you, Ashley, for joining me on the Education Exchange. Thanks for inviting me. It's great to be here. So, you know, charters and school districts are about as likely to cooperate as Uber and taxis, uh, people say. So are you finding that cooperation is actually possible in today's political climate? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's possible. It's also really hard. And when we started to try to, to make sense of the cooperation that we we found and the you know number of cities that we studied um, through the course of this report, um, what we observed were were some patterns. And these patterns make a lot of sense if if you observe politics more generally. Um, so it's sort of, you know, why do people get together um, and work towards common ends? That was sort of the frame of reference we used in this report. And we identified sort of two patterns of cooperation. One um, sort of goes to, you know, what uh, Harold Laswell called politics is about who gets what, when, and how. Um, and these we call transactional alignment. So it's basically, you know, I'll give you this, you give me that. And that's a really common pattern of district charter collaboration. And to give you an example, you know, a, a charter might want access to a facility and a district might want a concession of another sort. Say they want the charter school sector to serve more uh, kids with uh, special needs. Um, so that would be sort of a bargaining or negotiation that is essentially transactional because you're exchanging something. The other type of alignment that we observe is what we call a value-based alignment. And this is, you know, when you think about uh, our American politics more generally, and you think about why Republicans or Democrats sort of form coalitions together, it's because they have some similar values that are, are guiding philosophies to their work. Um, well, well, this yeah, is the mo this is the most interesting one because the first one I can understand the transaction bargain kind of thing, but the fact that you can actually find these instances where people put the needs of students uh, ahead of institutional rivalries. So, where do you find that? I think we, we see it in a number, a number of places, and probably most prominently is in, in school districts that have been sort of widely referred to as portfolio school districts. Um, so these are places that have really embraced charter schools as part of a citywide improvement strategy. Um, Denver is a place that's like this, Washington, D.C. Um, and, you know, so there's sort of an ideological basis to including charters um, in the district's overall improvement strategy. 
And, you know, even though I, I agree with you that this is a sort of very noteworthy example of cooperation, I think it's worth pointing out that values-based uh, collaborations are pretty susceptible um, to these underlying more transactional issues, right? So in a place like Denver, um, you know, it may, all, everything may be fine, and you can have sort of strong alignment based on values when the city is growing and new kids are arriving every day. But if Denver, Denver was in a position of, say, Los Angeles, where they had rising pension and health costs and declining enrollment, uh, it, might, it would be much harder for Denver to sustain these more, this more values-based alignment between the sectors. So you and think indeed, that, think that growing, you, yeah. growing enrollment is one of the sort of conditions under which a collaboration is more likely to happen? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, this is one of the sort of more exogenous factors we point to that shapes collaborations, but I think it particularly shapes um, uh, the, being able to sustain these more value-based alignments. And it's because, you know, when you're in a situation with declining enrollment where resources are scarce, that necessarily activates uh, the district's competitive instincts, right? It's much harder to say, you know, we, we want to sort of welcome the sector with open arms and give our competitors potential advantages, say, by offering facilities, even if it's good for kids, simply because it undermines our organizational survival. And I think this is where you see sort of a connection between the more material, self-interested part of politics and the more values-based. Uh, it's sort of like a Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Um, if, if you have enough food to eat, you may be willing to share. Um, but uh, when food is scarce, you may be less likely to do it. And that's the way I tend to think about it. Yeah, that's an interesting point. So how about foundations? Are they, are they uh, facilitating collaboration? Is this a, a, a big factor when a foundation says, I'll give, I'll give the district some money as long as you guys work together? Do you see some examples of that? Yeah, I think philanthropy has played a big role in this. So as um, you know, some of the listeners may not know, but the Gates Foundation uh, made a big investment in district charter collaboration, and indeed most of the cities we studied were districts that had received some funding um, from the Gates Foundation to initiate what they called district charter collaboration compacts. And these were sort of uh, memorandums of understanding between the sectors that would sort of establish some goals or um, other activities related to the collaboration. Um, so that was their effort to support this. But I think what's challenging is that philanthropy um, is, you know, very rarely able to overcome these larger sort of political forces at play, right? So for a collaboration that would happen anyways, philanthropy can step in and, you know, offer some money to support that. But I think very rarely are they able to overcome any of these basic political dynamics. And um, sometimes they can actually have negative implications by, by sort of pressing for too ambitious of changes. And I think where we see this most prominently right now is around uh, efforts to unify enrollment between the sectors. So this is one of the most ambitious types of collaboration because uh, it, it uh, enables families to more easily switch sectors. So it sort of taps right into those competitive instincts. And these systems tend to be very complex um, because they involve negotiation over a lot of issues um, uh, in terms of, you know, attendance boundaries and how the lottery will be managed so families can access, you know, schools, things of that nature. And, and what we've seen over the last several years is many of the major philanthropies have made big bets on this system called common enrollment. 
um, pressing cities to advance initiatives on common enrollment. Um, and several of these have, have ended um, before they ever came to fruition, despite, you know, millions invested on the part of philanthropy. So I think uh, to sum up, you know, philanthropy can help at the margins, um, but they can also sometimes sort of uh, force collab potential collaborators to go too big too early um, instead of, as we would advise, you know, taking more baby steps to success. Well, uh, just today, uh, Robin Lake uh, uh, released an article, or Education Next released an article by her that talks about charter growth slowing and mm -hmm. that uh, she identifies a number of reasons. Do you think that the slowing growth in charter, school is going to, uh, charter schools is going to affect the uh, possibility of collaboration as we go forward? Good question. I mean, I think where we've seen rapid growth in, in charter schools, in, in some respects, it both increases the demands for coordination, but can also sometimes undermine the incentives of the people to collaborate. Um, so, you know, in Los Angeles, for example, as more and more students have left for the charter sector, as the city has just lost students overall, um, it's it amped up the politics around collaborating, as we've seen in school board elections there. So I think um, slowing growth um, could provide more flexibility. It could sort of reduce some of those dynamics. But I think, you know, the reality is, is in most of the cities are affected by these, um, um, you know, political dynamics the most. Um, I, I don't think we see the same amount of the, the decline in growth isn't enough to make a difference to the district's, you know, material interest. Um, on these issues. Yeah, well, is some of this uh, collaboration actually the, the charter movement acquiring enough political power so that they're able to uh, affect school board elections and bring a coalition in that will, uh, you know, say we insist upon collaboration? Yeah, I think that's a, it's been an interesting thing to observe, although, uh, you know, with our current national political conversation, I think that there are risks around this. So, um, you know, I live in Seattle, a pretty deeply blue progressive city, and um, charters here are a litmus test um, for potential school board candidates. And, you know, with uh, Donald Trump and Secretary of Education DeVos, um, sort of advancing school choice initiatives, I think you you really risk sort of importing those national political dynamics into localities. And regardless of the charter sector's power, if you're in a if a, in a deeply blue city like Los Angeles, like Seattle, um, it could have spillover effects in terms of um, uh, you know equating charters with these sort of broader national uh, political dynamics. Yeah, so you're sort of suggesting the United States Department of Education should stay out of this area, not get involved in trying to encourage collaboration. It could backfire. Do I hear you saying that? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think that, that these initiatives where we see them sort of uh, uh, pan out the best is when uh, both sides see it in their interest to work together. And it's very much sort of a give and take. This is not about a one-sided sacrifice. And I think you know, most of the district charter collaboration compacts that were signed as part of this Big Gates initiative, all of them espouse these sort of high-minded goals for collaboration. And I think, you know, most people in both these sectors want to serve kids and families better. But the reality is, is that both also have to protect their organizational interests. 
Um, and so I think, you know, national policymakers are not in a good position to negotiate among all those dynamics, right? And actually, because of sort of the broader negative or positive associations people have with people like Donald Trump or Betsy DeVos, um, they can actually make it worse by sort of um, undermining the, the problem-solving work that's already happening at, at the local level. Well, uh, Ashley, you know, the uh, original idea behind charter schools was that they would come up with ideas, they were to be incubators of new ideas, and these ideas would diffuse throughout the system. Uh, is this... Is this happening, or is the kind of collaboration that you're identifying something other than what was originally the concept behind charter schools? Yeah, I think it's um, it's definitely evolved. So when you look at cities with a fairly you know substantially sized charter sector, um, that's uh, sort of a very different dynamic than sort of thinking about charters as laboratories of innovation. And even the conversation around charter growth, I think, reflects the shift. And, and supporters of charter schools where it's more about the growth in the sector than about sort of, you know, thinking, um, at taking a citywide perspective on, um, on the public school options available and, and, you know, trying to sort of maximize families' opportunities in these systems. So I, I think it has evolved, and I think, you know, recognizing the reality of the political interests on the ground is key to ultimately serving families better, right? And this is one thing I often harp on. People often want to assume the moral high ground and just say, you know, this is all about kids and families. But the reality is, is everybody's got, um, you know, at least some self-serving concerns, and you have to be able and willing to negotiate those if you want to, want to succeed. Well, I can imagine two scenarios for the future. One is, is that this is going to be a growing phenomenon, and the other one is, is that uh, charters are becoming increasingly politicized uh, at the national level and in many parts of the country, and that we, we may be seeing the high watermark of uh, the kind of collaboration you've been identifying. Which way do you think we're going? Yeah, I think it's an interesting question. I think, um, you know, on the one hand, the politicization of, of choice and charters um, in large part as a result of the Trump administration, I think, um, doesn't part uh, uh, well for uh, these kinds of collaborations. And I think especially in deeply blue cities like Nashville, for example, where it's just it's, it's a litmus test um, for school, school board members. At the same time, I do think there are a number of cities that, because of the size of their charter sectors, there are, are strong demands for increased coordination. Um, and so it's, um, it's you know, there, there are more incentives to engage in this type of work. And I think the, the key question is how, how can they, you know, the actors in these cities better navigate the politics. And that's really why we wrote this report, is trying to get out of the world where politics is viewed as, you know, something to be circumvented, something to be ignored. Um, you often hear people in, in, uh, in education say it's about the kids, not the adults. And our message in this report is pretty simple. That is, you know, you have to, you know, balance your desire to work on behalf of kids with the, the necessity of working well with adults. Um, and so and that's sort of the embracing politics to succeed part. Um, so I think that there are, there are collaboration uh, can happen, um, but it's not going to happen the same everywhere. There's no sort of playbook that people should be following, and um, it really requires people to get their hands dirty um, with politics. Well, thank you, Ashley, for joining me on the Education Exchange. 
this is Paul Peterson. Uh, I uh, invite you to listen to the Education Exchange uh, every Monday. We have a new podcast released at noon. Uh, I've been speaking today with Ashley Jockham, who is one of the authors of Collision Course, Embracing Politics to Succeed in District Charter Collaborations, a report issued by the Center for Reinventing Public Education at the University of Washington in Seattle. Thank you, Ashley, for joining me on the Education Exchange. Thanks, Paul. It was great to be here.